0: Welcome to Fantastic Books and How to Read Them,
1: the fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books.
0: We're your hosts, Sam and Anna, and let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam
1: and Anna.
0: And after a little delay, since life gets crazy at times, we're back with season two, episode two of Wise Man's Fear,
1: chapters five- through t- oh, six through ten. Yes, yeah, six through ten.
0: We did five ten. last time. So we are very excited to be picking up this set of chapters. Some of our favorite uh, little uh triumphs and mishaps happen in this set of chapters. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're just ready to jump right into it.
1: Yeah, I don't have any announcements. Uh, we left last left Kavoth at the Aeolian with his friends, and he was about to get on stage. So, as it were, the stage is set for yes. Chapter Six
0: love and so we have kavoth about to do what he does best in rock the house over at the aeolian yeah and oh this whole like, performance is really cool so
1: i love that he talks i mean it's called love because he's talking about the love for his lute at the opening and this is the first time he's playing the lute that he bought with the money from ambrose so it's just like his debut performance with this new instrument and like i've mentioned before every time he's at the aeolian he picks something completely different so the performances can't really be pr- uh, prepared compared mm. and um he's just like kind of going as he's tuning up and getting on stage he's thinking about how beautiful his lute is and how it's like the purest form of love because he loves it despite its little flaws and that's harder to love something than it is to love something that's just perfect and he also compares it to like sailors lo- their love for the sea and he's like they'll never understand true love the way that like The Edimaru and musicians love their instruments.
0: And also his uh, love for Denna all day.
1: Oh, it's absolutely his love for Denna. Yeah, that love despite.
0: Yeah, love despite.
1: (sighs) Yeah, parallel right there.
0: Uh, And like this part's awesome because obviously um, when Ambrose trashed his previous loot he got fined like a ridiculous amount of money i think
1: it was like 20 talents i think yeah
0: like 22 talents or 24 i don't know it was a, a lot of money it was basically said he got two span worth of talents and i think his span is 11 days so he okay. used a lot of money towards a really nice instrument which oh, was like such an awesome him. upgrade so nice and so there's a really cool part with this performance that is brilliant on so many levels, like, musically, and just the way it's written is really cool. And also, I kind of like this because um, in the previous chapter where Kavoth meets Lord Kellen, Denna's new man...
1: Oh, yeah, he kind of poo-poos Kavoth's What does he call it? Folk music? Yeah,
0: he's like, oh, Trooper's loot Folk music! <laughs> like, completely, like, dude, he has his talent pipes. Like, he's not just some fiddler that's trying to like earn a coin
1: denna did say he's never left the court so i think that had to play into it but yeah. he was just being kind of rude
0: yeah d- definitely being a dumb dumb.
1: which i'm not sure if koth had planned this performance because we never know what he's planning or thinking about his music but he basically plays a joke with the music and it's like only true musicians will understand it so i'm wondering if that was kind of the impetus for him to play these songs in the way that he does because he wants to thumb his nose at Kellen.
0: I think it definitely is. And I have a feeling he kind of just decided to do this on the spot. Like it wasn't Ooh. pre-planned very well because it even says like uh, the song was Weather. Um, It's truly like folk music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so... such
1: a, it's an old, old song.
0: Yeah. And so I think this whole performance is improv and it's really awesome because Weather apparently is, like, a very simple rural, like, folk song that's very simple. He even says... He says you
1: can play it, like, just by clapping or even on a bucket. Like, it's not hard. It's meant to be, like, a song everybody can sing. And there's lyrics that have been added to the tune, like, hundreds of different versions of lyrics people have made up their own. But he doesn't even bother to sing them. He just plays it. And the way that he plays it, he's hamming it up so much in terms of, like... How hard he's making this song look! So it'd be like, you know, like hot cross buns—that song everyone <laughs> learns <laughs> on, on the, the recorder. recorder yes. But like, if you're playing it in the style of like a master, like concert pianist, and like getting so into the music and concentrating and sweating and like look like you're really, really struggling and focused in in the zone
0: for something as that.
1: literally as simple as hot cross buns or like. Twinkle, twinkle, little star.
0: But like, imagine somebody on like a flute or like a oboe or like whatever, and like hardcore, like dead ass <laughs> serious, like, <with>, like hot <laughs> cross buns. <laughs>
1: like that's so good. They'd be so like in a concert hall too. Yeah, like not even by yourself.
0: Oh my god, I think that is literally the perfect <laughs> comparison. Good job on it. Thanks. Like, I pulled that out of nowhere. Oh my god. And that's the funny thing. So. You know, Kavoth is, like, going ham on this. He is hot cross bunning it so hard. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's, like, strained, like you were saying. He's sweating, and he, like, ends with a flourish. And, like, half the audience is stoked. They're, like, stomping and cheering and clapping. Like,
1: like knee slapping, laughing, like, doubled over. They think it's so funny. Yeah. And, and the other half is... Clapping and then they start to like look accusingly at the people who are laughing, like as like, if how dare you? Yeah, this this is a house of music. How could you disrespect someone like that? But
0: they don't realize that they're the like the nobility right now is the butt of the joke the butt of the,
1: Yeah, and Kavoth doesn't even let the audience like get that long to kind of look at each other and go, like, what's going on? Because he jumps right into the next Yeah, song. he like
0: strums a note and like pulls his hand up, like like, uh,
1: oh no no, I'm not done. Yeah,
0: I'm not done, not by half. And so I love this part too. I say I love every part, but this book's just great, so I love everything in it. But um
1: He starts to play this difficult song. Yeah, it's t- by Ilian so Tin Tatornin. To we yes. struggled saying this Good so hard.
0: Pronunciation. <laughs> I was about to butcher it, well,
1: so I'm not saying it
0: again. <laughs> Tin to Tornin. I <laughs> <laughs> see I can't. It's so it's so difficult.
1: I think that's the point, because it's such a difficult song. Yeah. But even Kabot mm. says his father would make him play "Tin to tornin when he was learning lute and was getting a little too like uppity and thinking he was this great musician. His father would humble him by making him play this really difficult song. And what does he say? It's like the best song. It's the for... finest
0: song for 15 fingers.
1: Yeah. Which makes me think of, remember the movie Gattaca? There's the pianist who is genetically engineered to have 12 fingers and there's a song oh, only yeah. he can play and like that's his specialty so
0: very cool also I, you and the comparisons tonight i don't know Killing tapped it. in <laughs> tapped in so we have um one of ilian's really uh, obscure and difficult songs and we have Kavoth, uh you know playing the song flawlessly But he then appears to be, like, fidgety and then almost bored and... He
1: yawns. Yeah. He gets up out of his chair and looks like something's making him uncomfortable and, like, sits back down.
0: Yeah, like, almost as if the song's inconveniencing him.
1: like as if he's done it so many times like yeah like it's a trifle
0: yeah like it's nothing even though this is like such a difficult song which is like masterfully done because you're acting and you're playing and you're not making any mistakes
1: and you're also gauging like the audience and not laughing because you know but you're like creating this giant charade for them and he gets to the end and he what doesn't even like he doesn't make one mistake and then doesn't even give it really that great of like a flourish of an ending just kind of stops playing
0: literally no crescendo no flourish no bow nothing cracked his knuckles distractedly (laughs) leaned forward and put his loot back in the case (laughs) just like yeah whatever
1: which we didn't mention but the loot case he said he spent all his money on the loot and could not afford a case yeah so. so he's got like socks and extra bits of padding in there to try and like hold it in place but he's looking a little shabby I think. oh yeah
0: i think it's literally the equivalent of like putting a diamond in a sock and carrying it around like <laughs> this is my treasure this is my terrible case for it but you know it's classic of oath he, he's always a day late dollar short and can't afford everything he needs but yeah well he know, takes
1: care of re and stuff too so. yeah
0: i mean poverty causes him to rise to action so mm-hmm. um Yeah, and so, you know, he finishes his performance and all the musicians are, like, geeking out, like, clapping and just, like, hollering because they're like, I can't believe he just did that.
1: Yeah, like, it was such an uh, insane performance.
0: And so um, Marie, like, rushes up to greet Kavoth and, like, walks him back to the table. And she's, like, shaking his hand and clapping him on the back. Oh, and-
1: I love at this point, Manet's like, oh, you're like a tiny little king in here. Yes. It's so funny because Manet's never been. And, um, yeah, Marie's... It's Marie, Willem, Simmon, uh, Manet, and then Stanchion comes over, too, to the table.
0: Right. And so... Um, Stanchion was like, that, you know, wasn't probably the most uh, wise thing to do among the nobility. Right. And so Willem and Simmons were even kind of confused as well. They're like, yeah, the...
1: Usually you get, per- like, a bigger reaction or, like, a better applause, and they, they're not really understanding.
0: Yeah, they're like, oh, uh, the, perf- the reaction to performance seems mixed. Like, what's going on? And so uh, Marie kind of spells it out for everybody. She's like, oh, we took, like... The simplest song that, like, anyone who's a musician could play with, like, their eyes closed. It made it look like he was, like, spinning gold and, like, making it the most amazing song he's ever played. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, obviously taking, like, literally one of the most difficult songs ever written looked like it was something, like, a child could, like, write and play. Like, it was nothing.
1: Yeah, so he switched the two and... I think at that point, someone makes that bad joke about, like, he played the joke on the loot, because they're like, you shouldn't have played a joke on the nobility, because they're the ones who pay. Right. You should have thought about that, especially because you don't have a patron, which surprises Marie, because Mm. she thought could have had a patron by now. But he's kind of like, you know, Ambrose has ruined my prospects so much. I think seeing Denna with Kellen kind of finally pushed him to this little performance, and... Like, who cares at this point? He knows he's not going to get a patron. Yeah. So, he may as well just have fun. And I think he says, like, I'd rather play for people who appreciate music than, like, just keep trying to pander to a bunch of nobility.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's literally, like, what he was basically saying. And I do love that everybody kind of snubs Simmons' crap joke.
1: Yeah. They just let that, like, slide under the table and they're like, it's like perfect, like, single
0: cough, like, reaction. Just like, He's like Ew. but uh, I don't know it's just a classic Simon moment.
1: Yeah, he's like really a little goofy.
0: He is. And so um Min- uh, not my Marie does say a really cool uh part on this where she was like he was a real performer. He played the audience no pun intended. Um and that was like masterfully done. It's the cleverest thing anybody's done here in a while.
1: Yeah, she's. I think she's been around for a while. Yeah, so, and so I
0: think this also really plays the Cavalts' strengths as a trooper and a musician because it's very rare that you see any circumstances in like literature or in real life other than like theater where you're playing music but also acting as you're performing. It's
1: it's not very common. Yeah, so. and it's not like he was acting while singing because that's usually what you see in theater is like people who are acting whatever their character is singing about. And for him to be able to put on such a unique performance without ever saying a word speaks a lot to his acting abilities and his musical abilities.
0: Yeah, just a really cool move. And so, you know, as they kind of fill Marie in on the whole um, reason he does have a patron because of Ambrose, Manet then kind of turns to uh, Marie and is basically <laughs> like, girl, I think you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> But it's I mean, like- I think he just uses
1: what I think is the most straightforward, but, like, actually pretty good pickup line of, like, I think, what does he say? You intrigue me. Yes. Like, there's no other reason to use a line on someone besides just being, like, I think you are, you seem interesting. Like, he has no, like, I think you're beautiful or, like, oh, I love, like specific things about you because he doesn't know her so he's just like other
0: than the music she's played
1: right so he's just like i'm intrigued by you let's have a drink
0: yeah and And so i think
1: that's a great way to start something
0: she's like well i gotta make my rounds come find me in like two hours and then we'll hang out
1: yep yeah which he does actually get to go on his like go get drinks with her after so i'm glad he scores one but Willem, simon and Kavoth are like blown away by this did not believe that mene would ever be able to ask marie out because like i think they say he's like at least 10 years older than her maybe more and he always looks like disheveled and crumpled
0: and he's like grayed and like grizzly haired and beard and like just kind of a mess
1: and marie's i think they don't i don't know if they describe her as like i mean she's feminine
0: but like you know she's like a large (laughs) she's a large woman she's really
1: i think she's pretty tall
0: yeah and she's like strong and confident and sure of herself yeah
1: she's very like As you just said, strong and confident. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I don't know why I was going to say the exact same thing. Strong (laughs) and confident.
0: Yeah, she's also confident and strong. But did you say she's sure of herself? (laughs) (laughs) One would say she also is sure of herself.
1: (laughs) But yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Marie's got it going on. So
0: uh, Willem and Simmons are just like dumbstruck and look at um, Mene all flabbergasted and like, what the hell is that? And I just (laughs) love this moment because like, You know, Manet always is trying to be, like, the dutiful mentor and, like, trying to teach them because he's been at the university forever. And, like, finally he has his moment of, like, real-life application of being more than just kind of, like, book smart.
1: Well, I think they're also like, oh, Manet just stays at the school. He never goes out and about. Like, he's he doesn't know anything about the world. And here he is kind of, like, first showed them about, like, what um, a patron will do, showed them about, like, uh, instrument lineages like he's coming out with lots of knowledge that i would never have expected from him
0: yes and so um he just says the line like uh take note take heed yes yeah but um one thing i do kind of want to jump back to just because a really interesting uh kind of allegory and comparison was the fact that um when they were describing uh the instruments in the aeolian and how certain ones can either be made by like Famous instrument makers and they have bloodlines or they were owned by musicians. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was so cool.
0: Like, that's just something I never considered.
1: I knew that there were like collectible instruments and ones that had been around a long time, but I also, I guess, I never thought about like what instruments are used by like the world's most famous musicians.
0: Yeah. Like, I always thought about it when I first read this kind of like classic electric guitars and like, you know, in a rock and roll sense, like,
1: I think I thought of stringed instruments because Kavoth plays the lute and I played violin so my mind went to like that. And I think I just thought that there are like collectible old ones and then like the top-notch musicians probably get like custom-made ones. But I'm wondering if there's like something to be said about like the aging of the wood as long as like something's maintained over time. It could get better and better. Yeah. Like wine.
0: Better with age. But, um, yeah, just it was a really cool concept, and I'm glad they included that in the chapter, especially with um, Kvothe kind of defending the fact that he, like, went all out with a really nice new loot.
1: Yeah, I'm glad he got a new loot. Yeah. He deserved it. Ugh, he does. Um, but I think the night just kind of, like, goes on, and they're, you know, gossiping, playing cards, drinking. And eventually...
0: Um the truth kinda comes out with um how Kavoth orders Soutons yep. over um other kinds of drinks in order to
1: Another thing Minet knows about. Yeah. It, very yeah, Minet
0: actually is very worldly for somebody who's not uh, leaving the university too often.
1: Right. But yeah, they're um Kvothe orders a Souten. Minet goes, Oh, I haven't heard anyone order that in a while and orders one as well. And so he explains the whole process of like Kavoth orders something that he's prearranged with the bar so that they know that he's just actually ordering water. Whoever offers to buy him the drink pays for a water, essentially, which is free. And then Kavoth splits the cost with the bar and the barman. The
0: bar and the house.
1: Yeah, and Mene's like, you're getting ripped off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm glad he kind of uh, teaches him some diligent negotiation at that point.
1: I think that's cool. But (laughs) it's so funny because uh simmons like but i've ordered the Graysdale mead
0: yeah because that was like another code name for like a sound and they're like well not everybody can get away with like ordering that yeah like
1: it has to be kind of a range like you got to be in the know and they've got to know who you are for it to work right but i think Kavoth um didn't get any gifts from nobility at this point because he you know made fun of all of them essentially but he does get a good amount of people buying him drinks like mostly musicians so he yeah. does get some money from the southern arrangement tonight but.
0: yeah he does uh rack up a, a good tab but um i was just straight through the book and i do love this whole part where um um they're just kind of talking about his ongoing feud with ambrose and kavod's like <laughs> yeah. no i'm done with ambrose like you know tit for tat we're done we're even and then um, Simmon. Simmons like, "Oh, <laughs> when you <laughs> dropped that pound of rancid butter down his chimney," and he's like, "Shut
1: up!" <laughs> I just love the <laughs> like the, the whole- idea of Kavoth, like, because we're with him for most of the like narration of his yeah. story, but there's clearly like times he's doing other things. So the fact that like one of the things he left out is that he was sneaking around like. Gathering up old rotten butter and like putting it down Ambrose's chimney in the middle of the night.
0: Yes, all like, hey, hey, hey. like it's <laughs> just so good. Just so that makes me laugh.
1: So you know they're sort of done with their feud, but not really.
0: Hmm. So nothing big enough to really start stoking the fire of their feud right now.
1: No, but as we do see coming up soon, it has not ended.
0: No, and so. Towards the end of the evening at the Olean, um, uh Kavoth kind of cashes out his tab, and he... He
1: gets a couple of talents, right? Total. Yeah,
0: he does. He gets like a talent and a half, which is great, because...
1: He still does not have enough.
0: No, but it puts him up to three talents even in his wallet. So with admissions coming up, it's definitely... It's... Better than nothing. Better
1: than nothing, but like I said, it is still not enough. And he also gets a couple bottles of Braden beer. Yes. Which I don't know if he has a plan for these or if the bar was just trying to, like, get rid of them. But both Will and Sim are like, ugh, that's the worst kind of drink. I think Willem says it's closer to bread than beer. Yeah. So it's, like, it's really low quality. And both <laughs> tries to defend it, saying it's full of trace nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> and that, um... Pregnant women in the, like, outer countries drink it. And Willem is like, "Kvoth, it's okay if you're a pregnant Yellish woman. We're still your friends.
0: Yes. Uh, it's, like, really nice dry humor from Willem.
1: Yeah. um, Because he he does have, like, very few lines, but they're usually pretty funny, actually.
0: Mm, I agree. And I feel like when sometimes we, we would listen to that audiobook. Willem gets translated off very poorly, where he almost comes off like aggressive and like Yeah, he's like
1: pushy and like sarcastic to the point of being rude, not like a dry humor funny. So I'm glad that at least when you and I read it, the humor came through.
0: Yeah, no, he's great. And so we have our homies leaving the Aeolian well into their cups and slowly kind of migrating their back way home and Kavoth makes it back to his room at ankers and there's a really kind of awesome little aside moment where he's in his bed at ankers and at the university or he like
1: on his way home he was like looking at everything and like really kind of like taking stock of the scenery around him and like the town all the buildings in the university like which lights were on and knowing like who was behind some of the lights like oh that's probably master lauren's light there or whatever um, then he does his like rain barrel right foot jump up guttered swing hang into anchors yeah and yeah he has that little aside you were saying
0: yeah where he like feels like he's home for the first time in his life and he's really kind of taken up roots and he wonders like you know what would his father think of him like they're the edema rue like the wandering you know traveling types and so for him to kind of settle in somewhere so against his uh ingrained nature so to speak so it just kind of a leaves you in a pondering sense at the end of that chapter which i really enjoy mm-hmm. chapter seven admissions oh boy oh we're in for a doozy yep <laughs> so the next morning uh Kvothe, slightly more than hungover
1: emerges
0: <laughs> emerges kind of like cue that scene in spongebob the movie where he uh, has way too many triple gooberberry sunrises and is just completely hungover and, like, gross-faced. We I've had- never seen that movie. Oh, you're missing out. It is wonderful. <laughs> Sorry. But we have Kavoth, you know, making his way down to Ankers.
1: Yeah, he goes down to the tap room. I think he's trying to get, uh, just get his day started. And as he's looking around and kind of thinking about, like, admissions, um, he his thoughts are interrupted by, he hears Ankers' voice going, that's Kavoth over there.
0: And... Literally the most out of place, like, beautiful woman is, like, at the bar.
1: In, like, a ball gown, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, she's, like, in a maroon
0: gown with, like, long gloves. Long,
1: like, dinner gloves. Yeah, very fancy. Which and... we
0: realize later is because of the uh plum bob that he's about to be dosed with. Right. But, um,
1: but... when
0: I was reading the description of this character... I literally thought of somebody who was trying to look inconspicuous but was, like, sticking out like a sore thumb. And it literally reminded me of, like, somebody literally dressed as, like, Carmen Sandiego <laughs> trying to act, like, aloof at the bar. <laughs> like, it just seems, like, ridiculous to me.
1: Yeah, it does not make a whole lot of sense for her scenery.
0: No, and so, you know, she approaches Kavoth and she's like, are you the one that broke uh, Ambrose Jackus's arm? And he says yes. Of yeah, course. he's all like stoked. He's like, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah,
1: so she's like, all right, I'm going to buy us drinks to celebrate that, which is like
0: just a already a red flag.
1: Weird in- inter- encounter, like w- no introduction of her name, not saying who she is, not saying why she's really here. But she goes and gets, um, and he orders the Graysdale meat, I think. So he gets a water, essentially. Yeah. And she brings them back. They toast. She says some like rude things about Ambrose, I think, like to in her toast, like to his everlasting demise. demise or whatever. And they take their drink and all of a sudden she just like breaks down crying and speaking in Modegan and Quoth does not know what's going on.
0: Yeah, and she like takes off.
1: She just runs out of there. <laughs> and then like so confused, everyone in the tap room's like looking at him, trying to figure out what happened, and he goes she went crazy on her own. I didn't do anything.
0: <laughs> Which I think is a good throwaway response that I want to save for later in my life for one <laughs> situation or another. Are,
1: I think you, are you expecting me to go crazy on my own? No, not you. But like,
0: <laughs> if I get a weird reaction for somebody or like, if ever a patient is acting funny, I'll be like, they went crazy on their own. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't up. have
1: anything to do with it. Which like, for once in his life, Kavoth didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. He's always causing trouble. But um, yeah, he... I think he finishes his drink, Mm -hmm. which I'm still unclear on if the plum bob is in the drink or on the cup.
0: I think it's in the water. Okay. Or maybe she laced the cup. I don't know. Like, she must have been, like, really sneaky.
1: She would have to be really sneaky. Maybe
0: she just, like, wiped her thumb on the rim of the cup. Oh, like,
1: maybe it was already on the gloves?
0: Yeah. And she just kind of...
1: Because, yeah, as we see later... Or as we're told later, this plumb bob the Kvothe is given is absorbable through the skin. So I assumed he absorbed it off the cup.
0: Yeah. And I so... bet it
1: was on her gloves. That makes sense. But anyway, yeah, he um, makes decides to way. make his way to admissions.
0: And the first thing he does is he buys a meat pie. And at first, I didn't really think much about it. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But I didn't necessarily attributed to that he was acting uncharacteristically to himself but then right after he then buys like honeyed almonds i'm like whoa whoa whoa
1: wait a minute here our
0: dude pinches every penny and he he also refused
1: to get lunch with fela pretty recently when they pulled their admissions tiles because he was like i can get food for free i can't afford to buy any food out and like, sure, he got a little bit of money last night at the Aeolian, but definitely not enough to warrant buying honeyed almonds and a pie for someone who is like, as you said, pinching every single penny. So this is kind of like the first warning flare. Things are not going well with both.
0: No, our boy is definitely not acting normal. And he... Uh...
1: But it's like subtle enough where you might not notice it.
0: No, Exactly. So it's 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 definitely a very subtle deal,
1: mm-hmm. but he gets all the way to Hellos, the where the line is for admissions, and he is looking around because he can't quite line up yet because it's not his time slot. And he goes over to this girl Amlia, who I don't think we've ever been introduced to, but he starts like talking really loudly at her and kind of poo-pooing the whole admission system and saying it's a waste of time and the masters should know like who's good and who's not and like who like who is proficient in certain fields, like why do they need to sit through this whole thing? It's bullshit.
0: Yeah. And she
1: looks real uncomfortable because obviously everyone can hear this conversation. She does not want to be dragged down with Kavos. She knows who he is at the beginning. So his reputation is preceding him. And she is like just kind of standing there awkwardly nodding and not really saying much. So you know she's uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. I feel bad because she's literally just a byproduct of Ca's like presence right now mm-hmm. and he's just untethered and yeah. he doesn't even realize it
1: it's it's not going well
0: and so who makes his uh, appearance in the courtyard
1: oh of course it's Ambrose <sighs>
0: and then um it even says like the second he sees him his blood begins to boil
1: he just like starts yelling like oh you're like the cherry on the top of this shitty day ambrose like he's not being quiet about it at all
0: (laughs) ambrose your presence is the horseshit frosting on this horseshit cake (laughs) that is admissions
1: and oddly enough ambrose does not rise to the bait like he usually does he's like oh nice to see you kvothe glad to see you're here yeah like he's clearly knows something's up um and quote just keeps going. Oh, he's in on. on Ambrose. He's like, "Oh, I saw one of your lady loves this morning. I had to console her, probably because she saw you naked once, and it
0: caused her some emotional trauma."
1: Right, and like poor Emily is like caught in the middle until Ambrose excuses her, and she like books it out of there because she is not enjoying this conversation. And I think the the um. Conversation just is escalating on Kavoth's end, but not really on Ambrose's end, and Kavoth puts another almond in his mouth and spits it out, and Ambrose is like, Oh, don't like the taste of plums And how would he know that unless he's behind it all? So Kavoth somehow puts two and two together in his altered state of mind and runs out of there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he straight up sprints. And so I do love what happens next. Uh, Kavolt runs to find Simon, and he's banging and, like, smashing on his door. He's like, Simon! Open
1: up! Open up! And
0: it's literally not even Simon's door.
1: I know. Simon pops his head out, like, two doors down, and is like, Kavolt, get in here. What are you doing?
0: Kavolt is like, I think Ambrose drugged me. Uh, Something's not right in my head. And he keeps
1: spitting out on the floor, like, spitting... I think just spitting at this point. He's not even spitting almonds, just like spitting yeah. all over Simmon's room. And Simmon's like, what the hell are you doing? And
0: he's like, what are you born in a barn? And Kavot straight up like backhand Simmons across the face like wicked hard. Poor Simmons. And you know, Kavot is like, I was born in a barn. Like, what's it to you? Yeah,
1: why, why are you being this way?
0: And um, Kavot is like, not even putting one and two together that like smacking him was wrong. He was like, you know, just because I was born in a barn and I'm not nobility, does not you know, give you the right to like Lord over like me? Like push
1: me around and say mean things about my background. And thankfully Simon is actually really quick to the uptake in this scenario. Yeah. He knows something's wrong with Kavoth, And then Kavoth pretty quickly says like, Oh, I hate the taste of nutmeg. Mm-hmm. And Simon knows exactly what's wrong. He's like, this is something called a plum bob. It's like a, distorted version of alchemy like you're not supposed to use it and what it does is it lowers all your inhibitions so you have no kind of social cues or filter as to how to behave anymore so in Kavos instance he can't tell what is appropriate behavior he can't tell what is bad or good like um I think they're trying to gauge things on a scale of one to ten and or no Simon is like what would happen if you killed Ambrose and Kavoth is just kind of like, I don't know.
0: There might be a trial.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I, sure. why can't I go kill him? I don't understand.
0: Yeah. And so also he really surprises Simmon because he produces a knife that's like strapped to his leg at all times and.
1: Yeah, so that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah,
0: and so Simmons like, oh, dude's packing heat. Like, we gotta get that out
1: of here. Yeah, not good.
0: So he's trying to explain to him like why he needs to like not kill Ambrose and just to kind of chill out.
1: So I think they decide that he has to sit in Simmons room, and Simmons has to be his gauge for him as to like what is okay to do and what's not. But mm. he also has to, <laughs> if something's really bad, he has to say it three times. So that keeps coming up in the conversation.
0: That also comes up later, I think, when uh, Kavoth talks with Bost. I think there's a couple of exchanges where he says like those lines, but oh, like three times now. Yeah, like I'm telling you three times now.
1: <gasps> Interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, hadn't like, noticed
1: that. I think you're right. Threes
0: and sevens are obviously like big numbers in like uh, everything, everything, but
1: yeah, in all of Western literature. <laughs>
0: And that's the magic number. But no one's saying ten times. <laughs> <laughs> Either way though, um, uh Simmons is kind of trying to coach Kavot through like what not to do. And
1: Kavoth gets concerned though because he has to go to admissions. And yeah. Simon is like, absolutely not. That's yeah. like the last thing you should do. It's a very delicate social situation, as we know. Kavoth has already had difficulty in admissions he's gonna ruin it he's on the bad side of some of the masters so like simon puts his foot down thank god and is adamant that no Kavoth cannot go to admissions
0: and so then Kavoth's like all right go get Fela. And he's like oh absolutely not yeah
1: no that's also a bad decision and he's like
0: no no like she offered to trade admission times with me uh she has a later time slot like go get her
1: so simon runs off very quickly returns with Fela. Somehow, during which point, Kvothe took his shirt off he was because warm. he was warm and didn't want to open the window and, like, cause all sorts of temptations for himself. Which was actually
0: kind of smart because he was like, oh, I want to limit my interactions to just, like, myself.
1: It's interesting because I don't think there's any way to kind of, like, mentally fight this besides keeping yourself in a small and confined space and, like, away from social situations. So that was smart on Kvoth's part. But Fela arrives. Simmons a little bit nervous I like letting her in the room with Kavoth because he's just all out of sorts. And <laughs> Kavoth is like, Fela, I, you're so beautiful. I wish I could see you with your clothes off. I would give you all the money in the world. And Simon and Fela both turn like purple with embarrassment. Yeah. So like there's just no no filter coming off of Kavoth, which like he's already pretty bold and brash, so for him to be saying these things is very extreme.
0: Oh, yeah. They kind of eventually convince Fela this is, like, the real deal, because Simmon asks Kvoldt, like, hypothetical questions, like...
1: <laughs> Can I eat a stone?
0: Yeah, like, would you kill Ambrose for a pie? And Kvoldt is like,
1: well, what? it depends on the pie. <laughs> what kind of pie?
0: And so she's like, holy shit, like, yeah, you are definitely not right in the head right now.
1: Oh, yeah, because she thought they were playing a joke on her at first. Yeah. So they convince her. She swaps admissions tile slots with Kvothe, which is really nice because she then has to run to admissions right then.
0: Yeah. And so um, Simon was kind of just saying how uh, during alchemy lectures every year, Mandrag goes on about how uh, the plumb bob had been used like 50 years ago and how there was some people who like ran amok during a wedding and killed like a bunch of people and you know yeah it
1: was like complete abuse of alchemy
0: yeah so it's like the alchemy equivalent to malfeasance yeah
1: yeah it's bad
0: it's really bad because
1: there's no way you can tell like it's not like they're drunk or um drugged where they'd be like any other kinds of physical signs
0: yeah and this will last for several hours and then he goes on to say however there will be uh like flashbacks or like like flare-ups yeah
1: which I was saying when we were reading that I think there are a few times where Kvothe specifically mentions tasting plum and like having flare-ups but then I think just in general after this he's more reckless yeah
0: he's definitely more rash especially once he travels away from the university and spends time in Vintus.
1: yeah he gets kind of like erratic there and like I was saying like there's the whole thing with the mayor and the his being poisoned, which Kavoth is goes out on a limb and, like, tries to prove. Then he has to go with the bandits. Then he, like, travels into the Fey realm. So he just, like, makes a lot of rapid-fire kind of rash decisions that, like...
0: I wonder if, like, the bob thing kind of changed him for keeps in a certain way. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm wondering. Just in a subtle way, but...
0: And it's kind of crazy that the this is a... a side, not a side effect, but it does have, like, echoes. Yeah. Kind of like how uh, if you take acid a bunch, apparently you can experience... Um, flashbacks or oh multiple like instant little um
1: like little blips yeah weird yeah if
0: you like crack your back and stuff apparently people who've taken acid several Mm. times will have like a momentary uh reaction and re-experience like
1: whoa yeah that's crazy
0: very crazy so interesting concept that was worked into this
1: yeah i didn't realize that that was like possible yeah interesting
0: imagine like you're just like on the job you really crack your back or whatever and then just like
1: wow colors and sense <laughs> <laughs> no thank you yeah
0: seems a little dangerous uh yeah they basically say how you know his emotional inhibitors are let down he has moral amnesia and he kind of just needs to ride the wave
1: that's what i was gonna say is like there's no way it's not like it has to pass through his system or whatever it's just like in his body now which is kind of crazy yeah and so simon makes him sit around for like basically all day to keep watch over him
0: yeah because they at first suggest the medica and they're like oh no They'll put him in Haven if they do. And Kvothe straight up like...
1: Freaks.
0: Gets violent almost and was like, I'd rather die than be put in Haven. Like, you're not going to take me there.
1: Which I didn't realize how affected he was by like the concept of that place. Yeah. He never really speaks about it being a fear of his to go there Mm. because he's always pushing to learn naming and he knows that's the consequence of it. And you think if he was actually that afraid, he wouldn't want to learn naming. But I think it has to do with like he's always... He grew up traveling with the Adimaru. He's always been kind of free and independent. So the idea of like being contained.
0: Or being a prisoner. Is the
1: exact opposite of everything he's ever known and who he is.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's so really scary for him. him.
1: But yeah, he sits around with Simon all day. And there's like, as time's passing, he says like, you know, I had to keep being told no. Like, no, I could not go kick that dog across the street. No, I could not go buy us a couple bottles of brandy. No, I couldn't keep doing like X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. He keeps asking but eventually, Simon, after extensive questioning, decides to let Kavoth go home to Ankers at the end of the evening, with the promise that he stays in his room till tomorrow. And I think initially, Kavoth has uh, intentions of maybe leaving his room. Yeah. But when he's by himself, what he starts to notice is that, like, he's kind of at the mercy of his own emotions at this point. Like, he's coming down off of this weird, like, trip essentially. And his mind is thinking about all of these emotions he had, uh, these emotional memories he had of his family. And he says, you know, I thought about that time with Chandrian and with Haliax and Cinder so often that that's not the worst memory. It's just these like tiny acts of kindness and like these feelings of my family that I miss, like my mom brushing my hair or singing a song or being in the caravan with them and just like these cozy heartwarming feelings of like home and family that cannot be replaced by anything no matter how close you can try to replicate them or how much you build your own family up out of your friends and like your own little world at Anker's like it will never ever ever be the same and it got taken away from him at such a young age when he like wasn't mentally prepared to lose everything that he just buried that deep down inside and hadn't really like, brought those emotions back out again, like, reminiscing, essentially. And it crushes him. Like, he oh, is, he is sobbing. sobbing. He's, like, having a breakdown. And somehow, Ari appears.
0: Yeah, and, like, I didn't know if this was, like, she's actually there, but it, it's written almost like... I'm pretty sure, as sure as she's like,
1: actually there. She's
0: part of, like, a fever dream, almost, like, because she somehow, like, finds Kavoth. She's, like, at his window, and...
1: Yeah, she doesn't... I don't think she knows where he lives or how to find him or that he even needed her but she just is there which speaks like just opens up so many questions as to like her abilities and her connection with kvoth and who she is as a character
0: right and she was like it's you know she doesn't realize why he's upset or like what's happened to him and she's like oh You should have come to me if you were upset. You know, there's those days where you feel like your heart's made of stone and it's just too heavy to bear. And she's like, don't worry, like, I'm here. And Kavolta's just, like, sobbing and so upset. I think
1: she, like, can kind of intuitively understand why he's upset.
0: Yeah. And she's like, it's okay, you can say it. And, it, uh, like, that part, this part literally gets me so, like, emotional. But, like where he says like out loud like i'm never gonna see her again and he's like talking about his mother and like
1: because he just has this little story of like she said i used to sing with her as a baby
0: yeah and
1: like it wasn't even that much of a song it was just this like little hum we would echo to each other back and forth for years and like that's his probably his first memory and it's gone
0: it is, and it's just uh it's so heartbreaking, and so the chapter ends with Ari um consoling and like soothing Kavo through like this horrible uh emotional roller coaster due to the plum bob,
1: yep, um, which and we've mentioned in slow regard to sound things like she's preparing for i'm assuming like. C- Kovoth to come and like weather some kind of storm with her so i think it's important that she has this moment where she's like there for him emotionally too
0: absolutely chapter eight questions and so um Kavoth is slowly kind of Um, making his way through the after effects of the Plumbob drugging. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel so bad. Like, this guy can't catch a break with this stuff. Like, he tries to do a little bit of piecework in the fishery, and he, like, for no reason just starts um, breaking into, like, sobbing fits, and he can't concentrate and can't, like, maintain an alarm to do any sympathy.
1: it sucks. Because it's not only, like, oh, you can't even focus on studying but like you can't even get through some fishery work which would get you some money for tuition's like you can't do really anything.
0: Yeah, he tried to like sneak into the archives and he was like in the tunnels and had like a plumb bob panic attack and was like nope.
1: Yeah, so I think what he ends up doing is just basically feigning sickness for a few days and sitting in his room. Yeah, and, and just slowly emerges. Um and it's very like very kind when he finally comes down Anker's is like, "Oh, are you feeling better?" here, let me make you some breakfast. And Kvothe is like, no, I've got a run. I've got admissions. And so Ankers is like, all the more reason to have breakfast.
0: Yeah, like really. Just... Makes
1: him like eggs and toast and hash and like all sorts of like a really hearty meal. Mm. Uh, because, well, because he cares for Kavoth, but also because the like, uh, what does he call it? The ice. The iceless. Iceless, which is like a refrigerator. And I've brought this up like 10 times already, but it's like the equivalent of a refrigerator using sympathy or using um, Sigildry, is broken. And Kavoth is like, oh, I'll take a look at it. And I love what Anker says. He's like, you know, you can't fix it anymore. That's already broken. So take a look. Yeah. Get back here. And Kavoth fixes it super easily. It was just um, some of the runes had been like...
0: Worn away. Worn
1: away or like uh, had a mark through them. So he just redoes them, fixes it in a second, and tells Anker he's going to need to cash out his tab from all his Greysdale meads because mm-hmm. it is tuition day. And Ankers gives him like an extra talent because he fixed the ice list. so it's just like
0: homies, yeah,
1: he's got his back. He really cares for Kavoth.
0: yeah, so Kavot's going into admissions with four talents, which
1: all <laughs> all
0: in all a precarious position to be in, but not like horrendous,
1: yeah, he's had he's had it worse,
0: Yeah, And so as he's making his way to the university, he heads towards a fishery, and who does he run into, Master Eldin?
1: Oh, yes.
0: And there's always something that's certain when you run into Master Elden. It's always going to be something weird and exciting.
1: Yeah, so Kavoth tries to ask him a question. He's kind of abrasive about, like, statistically speaking, sure, you can ask me a question. Yeah. Which is a little bit rude, but, like, whatever. Kavoth has already pushed this guy's buttons several times, and they just go at it regularly. Yeah. So Kavoth confronts him about why he's not in
0: the naming class, the naming
1: class. yeah, which Fela told him about.
0: Cause it's like he sponsored him to Raylar. Like, why aren't you teaching me, bro? Yeah.
1: And Elidin is like, look, you're too, too clever. You're too impatient and too something else, like too proud. Yeah. Um. So Kavoth is following him, and they're walking into the master's like residence hall. Yeah. And as they're going up the stairs, Heme comes down, and he is such a
0: dick oh yeah he's like move it half wit to eloden and then turns to Kaboth. both and calls him quarter wit like just completely like dumb and dumber
1: but he says something even meaner about like um like needing to write instructions for how to not like block up hallways because they're so stupid or something oh, yeah. like he's just being a jerk and like he always is like this is not new and eloden hates him so as soon as hemi leaves they continue up the stairs and they get to the top of the stairs and Kvoth is still pushing and he's like let me prove it to you like let me prove you prove it to you that you can teach me like i'm smart enough so eloden is like fine i don't have a key to this door unlock it for me and Kavoth takes out and once again his like thieve skills from his Tarbian days takes out a lockpick and with like three tries unlocks the door and i think Elidan is actually pretty impressed at this like he was not expecting yeah. Kavoth to have these this set of skills so he's kind of like shocked but then continues into the room and as Kavoth says he never really thought about where Elidan lived but it was not this it's yeah. like this grand set of rooms with a four poster bed and it's like lavishly decorated um, and all the meanwhile, they're still talking and talking.
0: And, um, I just love that, um, Elodin is, like, taking armfuls of robes and, like, a crystal decanter.
1: He's, like, piling all these robes on Kvothe for a minute, too.
0: <laughs> and he totally just, like, throws the decanter in the fireplace and starts, um, tossing robes on, like, one at a time. And literally starts lighting them on fire. And he also, I think, closes the flue on the chimney.
1: Yeah, so the smoke can't leave. And Kavos has been trying to, like, ask the right question or something at this point. So he's like, oh, whose clothes are we burning? And Aladdin's like, not the right question you should be asking.
0: And then he's like, why are you burning your clothes? He's like, definitely not the right question. And then he's like, oh, God, whose rooms are these?
1: (laughs) That's the right question.
0: And then Ms. Aladdin's like, bingo. And he goes, it's Master Hem's. He's like, why are we burning his clothes? And he's <laughs> I like, know,
1: like, what kind of trouble are you getting me into? And he's like,
0: because I hate him.
1: But it proves his point completely that like Kavoth doesn't think use critical through. thinking, in like think things through. So like when Elodin didn't have a key to the door, he should have asked like, why don't you have access to this place, or like, where is your key? But instead, Kavoth was just like, okay. And I think it's, like, you need to trust your master, but you also need to know when to, like, question and push back and, like, know why you're doing something, and that proves Elodin's point exactly. Yeah,
0: and then Kvothe also kind of pushes it back to him, though. He's like, you sponsored me to Raylar. Like, take accountability. Teach me. Like, Like, mold my mind. Like, guide me.
1: I think that's when Elodin says, like, you're too clever by half. Like, I think he's scared of how powerful Kvothe could be, Mm. and- doesn't necessarily want to allow that to happen until he learns some humility and control.
0: Yes. And so... And that's
1: not something you can teach somebody in a class. And Kavoth doesn't know that because obviously nobody thinks of themselves as, you know, like too proud or too un- like uncontrollable. Like he thinks right. he's fine. But um, this scene kind of ends with Ellen being like, you should probably go take a shower before admissions. Like, Heme saw both of us in here and I live here. What's your excuse?
0: Yes. And it's just like, oh shit!
1: Yeah, he's he's peculiar, but like he is calculating.
0: Yes, and he also doesn't take shit from anyone, which I love.
1: Yeah, I like that too. Like, I yeah, mean, I don't think you should burn somebody's clothes up, but also no. it sounds like he's been enduring Heme's like bullying for years. So
0: yeah, and like I don't know. I know we've talked in other episodes how we've compared um, Elodid to kind of like a Dumbledore-esque kind of character. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, like, you can see that it is not the same stake as far as, or same case as far as patience. Like, no, if, you, if you insult this guy, you wrong him. He's like, definitely
1: spiteful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so <laughs> all of him, his clothes are burned. Kavoth runs off to shower before admissions and shows up to admissions with his hair all wet.
0: Yes. Chapter 9, A Civil Tongue. And as we were mentioning, Kavoth rolls up to uh, admissions just in time with uh, wet hair, but not soaked enough where it raised suspicion, but clearly mm-hmm. had just enough time to, you know, clean himself up before he uh, started his admissions uh I guess we can call it an interview.
1: Yeah, that's what they call them. Yeah, he just goes right in, right?
0: Yeah, he goes right in. Um, Arwal, you know, asks him several questions.
1: He gets a couple throwaway questions from someone. Yep. Um, but he also gets a couple of really hard questions. Like, there's one about, like, your compass points says this, this, and this. Where are you? Yeah, it's
0: like a trifoil compass, which is like really, really rare,
1: and people don't really use them. And Kavoth is not sure if it's one of those questions that was in one of the books the masters put out that he didn't have access to. Yeah. Or if he's just getting totally um like it's a an, dick question. Unanswerable it's from question. Who oh yeah, is that's with why. Yeah. yeah. That makes perfect sense. So, so like his admissions are going pretty okay. He he stumbles on a couple, but he does really well with like he has some sympathy questions and he has some like money conversion questions. He has some questions about the Medica. Which were actually trick questions he answered correctly, yes, which, which was I love, really great. because he he's
0: like, oh, just have your elf do it. Like, obviously, Like, can't I diagnose. don't make
1: diagnoses, because um, he's asked to make a diagnosis given the list of symptoms, and Kavoth is like, well, I can't do that. Hmm. So, it's pretty clever.
0: And so, they move on to Elodin, and he <laughs> gives them a total throwaway question. He says, you have three spades in your hand, and then you have five spades played. How many spades is that? Kavoth says eight. And all the masters are kind of, like, rolling their eyes and being like, ugh. And he's like, what? You want me to ask him a question only a master namer could answer?
1: It's interesting, like, how often they forget how powerful Elodid is, Because, like, they don't ever see him doing naming and stuff. He's just kind of this, like, quirky, weird guy. Mm. And they're all tired of his, like, presence at this point, And, like, ugh. Because they're on the last day of admissions. Like, yeah, I'm... they're all burnt. Yeah, like, do we really need to sit here and listen to him ask, like, what's five plus three? This is a waste of our time. And it's, like, the most waste of time for Elodin because he can't ask any useful questions about naming.
0: Except this. This
1: question is so important. I dog-eared
0: this, like, on purpose. Um, um, It even says in the passage, like, his voice uh, has a strange resonance to it. It wasn't loud. uh, But when he spoke, it seemed to fill the entire hall. Yes. And then um, Elodin asked grimly, um, where does the moon go? Sc- where does the moon go when it's no longer in our sky?
1: And this is the first glimpse we get at like the whole story of Eax and the creation war and like pulling the moon into the Fey Realm, which created the Fey Realm. And this is a huge component of the stories that's like been this like really, really, really minor undercurrent so far, but I think it's going to end up being really important.
0: Yeah, so this was definitely the first little nudge of like, Okay, the storybook stuff is gonna start reoccurring and it's real.
1: Yeah. And it has to do with naming. Yes. So good foreshadowing. Like it was just slipped in there and like I did not pick up on it until we read it most recently.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So very, very cool. And so obviously Kavolt has no idea, so he's like, uh and so, I don't
1: think it affects his admission in any way. But what does affect his admission is when Heme <laughs> gets to ask his question. Oh, yes. So, Heme <laughs> just right out comes and says, Did you set fire to my rooms?
0: Yeah, Heme says, Did you uh, light fire to my rooms, you little ravel bastard? Yikes. And the raw nature of the question uh, completely shakes Kavoth and catches him off guard. And he totally has like a plum bob like echo. And so, for Kavod, like the term ravel is like a really Super bad, offensive. slanderous term, like
1: against the Maru,
0: right? And so, when he has like this plum bob echo, he goes, I didn't set fire to your rooms, but I wish I had, and I wish you had been there where it started, sleeping soundly. And like everyone, okay, like,
1: I wish I burned you in your sleep and you died,
0: yeah. And so, the Chancellor's was like, dude nope, like, you were going to keep a civil tongue, like, otherwise we're going to bring you up on charges on becoming.
1: But and, then he also turns on Heme too, and is like, that was out of line.
0: Yeah, and kavolt even says, like, um, the term ravel is, like, particularly offensive of the Adi rue and he's like, oh, I didn't know that. So for his question, he asks, like, what the etymology of it is, and, like the history behind it.
1: Yeah, which is basically just, like, the systematic eradication of... Adimaru, who had been labeled as like traveling ravel, it's basically genocide.
0: Yeah, and they were just like hunted for sport, and so and
1: that's like this horrible term for them now.
0: Yeah, and Heme totally gets like owned by his colleagues and doesn't even get to ask questions. He's like, you, you, like,
1: yeah, like you can't ask any more questions. You are done here.
0: Yeah, like, are you kidding me right now? Like, it's one thing for the, a kid to be like how he's gonna behave, but you don't. You're a grown adult and you can't behave. Like, come on. Right. So um, that kind of ends the chapter um, with the Chancellor being like, thank you, take a seat while we confer your uh, tuition. Yep. Chapter 10, being treasured. So Kvothe's uh, tuition was set for nine talents and five, which was slightly better than the ten talents Mene had predicted but obviously puts him in a precarious situation since he only has about four talents to yeah, his Yeah, it's name. like
1: twice the amount of money he currently has, so he's not doing particularly well.
0: Yeah, and he can't just postpone his studies in order to like save money. He wouldn't be able to work at the artificery until he starts like his tuition again. So that kind of um, puts him in a position where he's probably going to have to borrow. Go to Devi,
1: yep. But in the meantime, he ends up going to the fishery to see if he can work on some projects that's going to pull in money. And he gets to the supplies desk, and Jackson is still there on his punishment. Yep. And Kavoth tries to pull one over on Jackson and borrow some supplies that he's not like authorized for so that he can either make something that's worth more or potentially sell those supply like raw materials and jackson catches him and he's like look kilvin's not dumb he knows that this place would turn into just like a money lending area essentially so you're gonna have to go to like the silver court which is like you know respectable money lenders yeah <laughs> and in the back of his mind both knows that none of them would ever even like they won't do business him. with him. Like, yeah. they're not even going to say hello. Like, they're, they're never going to do business with him. So, anyway, he leaves the artificery and decides to go visit Denna, who told him where she was staying. Yep, she's and... staying
0: at a place called the Gray Man. Spooky. Very weird.
1: Very weird. Although, I said Gray Lady earlier by accident, and that doesn't sound nearly as weird. Yeah. Uh, but he gets there, and he finds out it's a boarding house, not, like, an inn. And there's a porter at the door who, like, won't let him up the stairs. And he's very uppity and very rude. And Kavoth is just like, oh, I want to go see Denna. And he's like, well, give me your calling card so I can see if the lady is in. And he's and like, Kvothe, how
0: can you give her my card if you aren't sure she's in?
1: Oh, yeah. And the guy's like, well, I want to see if she's in for you. Yes. So being very upper class and clearly judging Kvothe, um, But Denna obviously loves to see him and l- invites him up
0: so there's a really interesting part here that i love is um the porter gives him like this uh very gracious and polite (gasps) over the top smile yeah and kvothe even says like he took special note of it because that smile is like a work of art and that it's like a knife in certain social settings and he goes, I might have need of it someday. And he does and uses it. <gasps> he
1: does? Yes. When? Uh
0: when he goes to Vintus to go meet the mayor of Alvaron, he does kind of like some staking out at like a local inn when he has to pawn his loot.
1: Oh yeah. And to get
0: nice clothes, but he needs an introduction in. So one of the lords that's there doesn't know Kavoth, but Kavoth pretends to know him and pretends that his status is higher to this guy, and he's like You'd be doing the mayor a great service if you brought me to him right this, like, instant. And, like, gives him, like, that smile. And the guy totally buckles.
1: That's such a gamble to do that. And then, of course, it works because it's Kavoth. But I'm so glad he pulls that smile out later. I I knew he was going to, but I couldn't remember exactly when it was.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool part. I remember that part now. And I definitely will talk more on that later once we get to our journey and Adventures in Vintas. But... Yeah, just cool, very cool. Yeah, super cool. And so we have Kavoth make his way up the stairs because Donna is in, and turns out, yeah, she wants to see Kavoth. So they're hanging out.
1: Well, when he shows up, there's another person there. Um, yes, this younger man named Joffrey. Joffrey, and, and uh, he introduces himself. Donna says he's like a great poet, and which we all know how Kavoth feels <laughs> about poetry. So. so he's
0: immediately like writing this dude off.
1: Yeah, and he um. Jeffrey excuses himself and Dana's just kind of telling Kavoth about like her predicament. Um, but Kavoth also brings her a little gift, which is stuff to help her with her asthma, or it might be panic attacks or something, but she says she has some trouble breathing sometimes. Yeah, so I made... feel like it's the
0: equivalent of uh Vic's Vapo rub. <laughs>
1: well, it's like um he has a a tea she can drink. Mm. And then she also has like um something she can boil and breathe in the smoke which i assume works kind of like an inhaler
0: oh just kidding maybe i was thinking of something else <laughs> so no vapor rub just tea and just steam. vapor
1: sniff Do you smell vapor rub yeah anyway not important um so she's like very flattered by this and both felt like a little bit silly giving it to her but she said it's like one of the nicest things someone's done for her in a long time and it is it's a really personal gift like Nobody else would know to get her that, and he notices that she's wearing the, like, emerald earrings and the green dress that she had on last time, so it sounds like her uh, suitors are still just, like, buying her fancy things and not things that are actually useful useful or, like, things that Denna likes. Right. So as she as they go on, she says she feels kind of, like, trapped here, um, but she's sort of enjoying her time because she's learning the lute, lo- not the lute, the harp. Yes. Um, and Kavoth asks her to play. And this moment is so... He, like, becomes so infatuated with her. If right. he already wasn't, like, this is the moment.
0: But you know it's funny? What? The song that she's playing is a variant of Bellwether, which is that really simple... Hot cross simple... buns. Yes. <laughs> he fell in love with her as she played a rendition of Hot Cross Buns. Doo doo doo. do I love you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But he he admires, like, the fact that she has, like, feeling in her music. And even though she might not be very, like, talented yet, he, like, is very overcome with, like, emotion of, like, the way she moves her fingers and the way she forms the notes. And, like, it's very, like, anyone can play, but not everyone can, like, play with emotion in it. And, And, like,
0: intention.
1: Yeah, he's very impressed by this yeah
0: she has the makings of a musician she plays with purpose and knows what she's doing even if she has to work on like articulating the instrument better
1: which like this is according to Kavoth. so i'm not sure if he's just like oh my perfect woman like she of course her music was beautiful yeah or if he actually has a really critical eye in this situation because he is a musician like i'm not sure what the situation is But, um, yeah, she's learning, and she said she was also hanging out with that boy Joffrey, who's a poet, um, but is just, like, a complete airhead. Yeah. But he's very nice to her, so, you know, she's got to do what she's got to do. And they end up ordering some drinking chocolate, and she has this little bell, which sounds delicious. She has this little bell that she rings, and the porter appears immediately, and she's, like, convinced that there he's like listening on the other side of her door but Kavoth looks at the bell and notices that there is some sigildry in it so it's one of those situations where like she rings the bell and like a bell downstairs also rings which is like like old houses old manor houses have those bell poles you can pull yeah and those, very like,
0: Downton abbey
1: yeah those like bells will ring in the, the like servants quarters or whatever so it's very similar um but she's kind of like oh is that what you do at the university is that magic how does it work and Kavoth has to kind of put his guard up of like we can't really
0: reveal the secrets
1: yeah he doesn't want to like let on too much about like what he's actually learning and like you're not supposed to tell too many people about what you learn at the university and the actual like ways it works so he kind of deflects but she seems pretty interested i think
0: yeah and you know he kind of gives her some information without revealing too much and as they shift topics she was basically saying like she feels kind of like a prisoner here like all the rooms are nice and big and everything she can't quite come and go as she pleases
1: i mean it's like Kavoth always says you want the shoe that fits you not the biggest shoe
0: right and so she's kind of
1: and like when kellen says like oh i'll drop by she has to sit there all day and like wait for him and she Mm -hmm. doesn't like that feeling too much like he doesn't demand anything from her but she feels like obliged to do to behave this way
0: right and so it's like trying to make light of the situation where he's like it's not all bad the rooms are nice and the dancing you know and the not dancing the <laughs> drinking chocolate's nice and like the rooms are good and she's like well the rooms are nice when you're here
1: oh i'm
0: just like uh oh, just get together figure it out <laughs> i
1: know they'll never get together i'm convinced.
0: So. Um, after his hangout with Denna, Kavoth then makes his way over to a very familiar side of town that has a horrible smell, which is none other than Debbie's place.
1: I mean, she doesn't smell. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Debbie. <laughs> Debbie, you reek.
0: We're here to do business. <laughs> you reek. No, so... but just that like weird, uh, mill that's like behind her building.
1: Yeah. Um. But yeah, he's clearly come to the point where he is at the end of his rope and has to do another loan with Debbie. She opens the door. She's like pretty excited to see him, even though she was like, I didn't, I wasn't sure if you were coming today, but you're cutting it a little close. Like your tuition is due today. Right. So she knows he is the last option.
0: Yep. And so they, they have some banter back and forth about, you know, books and tuition and everything else.
1: Uh, She has a new book on her shelf, which intrigues Kavoth, and she lets him borrow it, which is pretty nice. Yep,
0: it's uh, something by Mel
1: She clearly, like, settles her debts by taking things from her debtors who, like, can't afford to pay. So Kavoth knows how she resolves some of her debts. Like, she openly is like, oh, someone couldn't pay, so I took the book. And he's still worried that, like, she's going to sell his blood. Yeah. And I don't, I think it's just a scare tactic.
0: Right. There is a very cool part about this I do love about Devin just... She's very smart and very skilled as a uh, person when it comes to different things at the university when she was a student there. And she's like, Oh, so how bad was your tuition? And Cavalos was like, That's a rather personal question. She's like, we're in business together i have a right to know yeah and so he tells her like nine and a half she goes i thought you were supposed to be all manner of clever when i was ray lar my tuition was never higher than seven (laughs) so like what a flex but yeah that's
1: really good i mean she jokingly is like i'm cute as a button too that's Mm -hmm. why they didn't put it too high but she's incredibly smart and talented
0: and apparently had full access to the archives unlike Kavoth in this current situation i'm
1: sure also didn't burn a bunch of bridges with And burn some of your master's clothing, like Kavoth has done. Yes. Um, He wants to do a deal for four talents, I believe. And she has changed... six. Yeah, she's changed the terms of her loans. So she's like, look, I can't do loans for less than six. I don't know if something happened to her or what, but she's like, I can't keep taking risks for small loans. The risk is the same no matter the size. So I don't deal for less than six talents now. And Kavoth really does not want to do this tries to barter with her but she's like your tuition's due today like you don't have barter room you don't have any kind of like haggling like you have to take my deal or nothing so he i think ends up taking it but he's like what am i supposed to do with this extra money and she's like i don't know put it in a bank or um i had this question she says like spend spend a
0: a day in the buckle
1: what is the buckle
0: That." I have no idea. We're gonna to have to look this up. And listeners, if you have any idea and you wanna chime in, reach out to us on either one of our social media platforms on Facebook or Instagram.
1: Please tell me what the buckle is. Yes, it's been I do us not nuts. know. I read it and I just like have been thinking about it. So I don't know if I missed it somewhere. I don't know what it is, but I wanna know what the buckle is. But anyway, yeah, Kavoth has to take the six talents, except. Debbie remembers that last time he was there, he had mentioned he might have way into the archives and he kind of is like, uh, and she jumps on this and she's like, you do, you do have access to the archives. Like, tell me, I'll buy it from you. Yes. And she offers, I think, 20 talents at first. Yup.
0: And then 40.
1: And then 60. Does she go that high or is it just 40?
0: Just 40. And then she's like, and I'll take you to bed like right now.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Like her hunger to get into the archives is extraordinary like 40 talents that would settle Kavoth for so long also she must have a lot of clients if she has 40 talents on hand yeah that's a lot of money
0: which is nuts it's like almost 10 talents away i think from a gold royal like it's nuts
1: kavoth is loyal though he's like look it involves a friend i don't know if she'd be willing like i really can't i can't do it and devy's like damn you i think you're telling the truth yeah
0: that's exactly what she says so
1: uh he agrees to take the loan instead Um, Gives her his blood Has her seal it up Even though he says he trusts her
0: Which is actually such a foreshadow In this moment Because she's like "Um, Do you trust me or do you want this sealed And he's like I trust you But I'd like it sealed all the same
1: Ah. Which
0: obviously when they have That huge blowout Several sections from now
1: Yeah that's huge
0: So that's actually a pretty Once again
1: foreshadowing in these Mm. chapters is good but, yeah, young Kavoth is back in debt to Devi. But, I mean, she likes him well enough, and I think he shouldn't be too, too worried about being in debt to her overall.
0: Right, and, you know, as he's leaving uh, Devi's, she goes, think it over, talk with your friend. If you change your mind about access to the archives, let me know.
1: I mean, I think Kavoth, personally, if it didn't involve Ori, would do it in a heartbeat. But because it's Ori, who's, like, the one person he would bleed for. I think even more than Denna. Like he's so protective of Ari. He's just never going to sell out and let Devi into the archives. Oh yeah, he'd never betray
0: her trust. And yeah, and her like sense it's of like security. her home.
1: It'd be like letting somebody into your home.
0: Yeah, and like her her safety and security and confidence in her place. It would destroy her and it would in turn just break his heart.
1: Yeah. So, I'm glad he stood up for Ari and like stood up for Protecting their friendship.
0: That and, like, it does play to Kvult's integrity both to Ari and to Devi. Yeah. He's not, like, an opportunistic guy because even though he's very uh He's down poor, on his luck
1: and poor and, like, that would solve all his problems, but he doesn't sell out.
0: Yeah, he, he doesn't. So, kudos for maintaining his integrity.
1: Yay! Um, but that brings us to the end of this episode. I don't really have any final thoughts. Like, so much happened... There's yeah. not like one big takeaway. Um, and honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't read this book in so long. And like I said, I've only read it once before. I don't remember what's happening next.
0: There's a lot that's coming into fruition as far as like building up like I, don't I know give anything away.
1: Yeah, I know he does end up in that naming class, and that's kind of all I remember about this semester. Oh wait, there's there's a lot more. Anyway, it'll call it'll all come back to me um but in the meantime listeners thank you so much for keeping up with season two and you can find us on facebook on our website fantasticbookspod.com or on instagram please reach out if you know what the buckle is or just drop us a line if you have thoughts comments suggestions um book suggestions are always welcome too. and until then
0: happy reading Thanks for listening.
1: If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow
0: us on Instagram or Facebook at fantasticbookspod.
1: Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks!